Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, begin reading at verse 1. Here's what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why do I exist? It's a question I think that a lot of people are asking today. What's what's the meaning of my life? What, What is the purpose for which I've been put here on planet Earth? Man, those are big, tall questions. And we need answers to those kinds of questions, not only for ourselves, but also for those who are around us. You might be surprised today to learn what the real answer to that question is. Because I think there are a lot of lot of things that people have in their minds when they when they put purpose into their minds and ask what is my real purpose for living there are people who who live to squeeze the most out of life every moment work hard play hard they say to themselves that's what life is all about there are people who say you know really life is about leaving a legacy making a mark on this world, leaving something of myself behind. That's my purpose. Others believe that the, the meaning of life is all about self-actualization. I need, to, I need to work hard throughout my life to be all that I can be. And, and in that way, I can realize who I truly am by being all that I can be. I want to leave the world a better place after I'm gone. Still others find that there's only meaning in community. If I can meet another person, if I can be in a, in a group of other people, then I've found true purpose and meaning in my life. There are a lot of things that we think about when it comes to meaning and purpose of life. But what does God say about the true meaning and purpose of our lives? And I'm not saying that any of those things are in and of themselves wrong, but they are not the deepest firmest, straightest purpose of your life or mine. And and what that purpose is, is really revealed to us in the reading that we just read. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And I'm going to begin by talking about a man that you may recently have seen in the shadows. If you you watch uh, much sports this year, in fact, he's been in the shadows of one man. And last year he was in the shadow, shadows of another person. This year it's been Pac-Man Jones. 
been reading about some of the struggles that Pac-Man Jones has been going on. There's a person back there kind of silently offering to guide Pac-Man Jones. I wonder if you know who that is. Last year, remember Terrell Owens? Some reporters were saying that Terrell Owens had uh, attempted suicide. And still others were saying, no, it was, it was just an allergic reaction. There's a big debate. But again, same person in the background with Terrell Owens. Anybody know who it is? Dion Sanders. Anybody recognize the name Dion Sanders? Neon Dion, right? Man who had an amazing career. But I want to read you something that Neon Dion wrote. He wrote a book. It's called Power, Money, and Sex. How Success Almost Ruined My Life. I love that title. Here's what he writes. There I was driving 70 miles an hour down the highway, just looking for a place to end it all. Finally, I yanked the wheel to one side and pulled my car off the road. It skidded to a stop in the loose gravel, sending up a cloud of dust. I hesitated for no more than a second or two, built up my nerve, and then put the accelerator to the floor and shot over the edge of the cliff. Now here's a man, mind you, Deion Sanders, he, he has it all. I'll read a little passage in a moment that even he wrote about how much he had. He had squeezed the most out of life, made every moment count. He had made his mark on the football world. He had learned to be all that he could be. Talk about self-actualization. Deion Sanders had, had realized everything that he could be in the world of football. And many would say, because of the entertainment value of what he had done, that he had made the world a better place. And yet here he was with all this money all this power, all this success, and the success was killing him. Here's, uh, here's how it's described. Dion was driving to the tune of Kirk Franklin's Conquerors. And as he was driving down that road with that song blaring in his ears, he set out to conquer the demons in the most destructive way possible. Driving the car at 70 miles an hour, he plucked up the courage and took his car over the edge of a 30-foot cliff, expecting never to wake up again. A man on top of the sporting world. He was a Pro Bowl football player playing on America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. He was just two years removed from his second Super Bowl ring. He was in the third year of a seven-year, $35 million contract. He had it all. And here's what he says. Everything I touched turned to gold, but inside I was broken And totally defeated. I remember sitting at the back of the practice field one afternoon, away from everybody, and tears were running down my face. I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. A man with all of that success, and he still hadn't identified what his purpose in life was. I am so unhappy. We're winning every week. I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I've tried everything, he writes. Parties, women, buying expensive jewelry, gadgets, nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything the world had to offer, but no peace, no joy, no emptiness inside. And then he says, it reminds me of a passage from the Bible. 
In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon calls it chasing after the wind. And that's exactly what I was doing. How many people in life today are doing just that same thing? They're chasing after the wind. They really don't know what their true purpose in life is, what the real meaning in life is all about. And that's why we want to take a look at this Ephesians chapter 2 passage. Open up your Bibles back to Ephesians chapter 2 again. You know, the world of the Ephesians was not too much different from the world of Deion Sanders. In fact, if you do have your Bibles... You can look, you can page to the right and look at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at what it says in verse 17. Here's the world of the Ephesians. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, the, the people who don't know Christ. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They didn't understand that God had made them, had redeemed them, had given them a purpose in their life. That's the ignorance that Paul is talking about here. And he says the same thing here in Ephesians chapter 2, doesn't he? As for you, he says, you were dead in your transgressions. And sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And now look at it, what it says in verse 3. All of us, all of us once also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the very first thing we need to know is where life is. If we want to understand our true purpose, if we want to understand the meaning of our life, we have to get life. The Bible tells us that by nature, we are not alive spiritually. Our relationship with God is dead. Spiritually inside of ourselves, all we want to do is tilt constantly towards sin. We are depraved in our hearts and minds, breaking God's laws by nature and, and really only worth receiving his anger and wrath. In fact, take a look at what it says in the back half of verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. What a horrible thing. What a, what, a, what a terrible, terrible outcome to our life to be the object of God's wrath separated from him. Not just in this life, but also for eternity because of sin. And yet that's exactly what Paul says is the natural outcome of our lives if we are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If, if we do not believe and trust in, in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are by nature objects of wrath. And, and, and notice it says there's no one who can accept himself or herself from that. All of us also lived among them at one time, he says. I want to take a take you uh, through 
what I think is a great translation. It's actually a paraphrase of these same two verses, verses 1 and 2. And it kind of just brings it all home. Here it says, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Does that sound like Deion Sanders? Maybe Terrell Owens? Does it sound a little bit like you? Does it sound a little bit like me before I knew Jesus? I'll tell you that it absolutely does. Not so long ago, you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live, tell you what your purpose is, tell you what meaning of life is. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, the paraphrase goes on to say, and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. But how beautiful that this passage goes on and it says this, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, what a switch. We were by nature objects of wrath, but God didn't stop loving us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I put a passage in your crosswalk notes. Pull that out. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us from this situation. To help us understand why we truly exist. That we exist from God and for God. We exist from God and for God. And God sent his son and then he recorded all that Jesus, his son, did. He recorded his perfect life that he lived for you. That he wants, as we learned last week, to credit to your account. To account over to you. They wrote all about how Jesus went to the cross for us. And and notice what it says. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And then notice what Jesus himself says in John 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. You want to have life? You want to really know what life is about? Find the one who says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Every week here at Crosswalk, we have guests. And and we have people every week that have been here two or three or four times. We have people that have been coming quite some time. Maybe like many of the stories that have been told in 101 and 201 class that I've heard personally. These are people that originally came. Maybe you're one of them who came because your wife dragged you here today. I can relate to you more than you know. When I was a teenager, first uh, learning the truths of Christianity, my best friend Steve dragged my sorry butt to church for years, years. And 
and I didn't want to go. I had a paper route. I had every excuse. I'm tired. I got this to do. I got that to do. But he kept dragging. Maybe you're here because your kids woke you up and they said, we hear this story in 101 class all the time too. I didn't want to come to church, but my kids wouldn't leave me alone. They wanted to go to Crosswalk Kids. I don't know why it is that you're here today. But it's important for you to hear that the very purpose of life is not to get richer, not to get more powerful, but to find true life. The life that says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And you and I, we can't do that by ourselves. We just heard it. We're dead. The only way for this to happen is for us to hear this good news that we just read about. These are written, John writes, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. If you're one of those people sitting here today and you have not yet known Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to keep getting in touch with this powerful word of God. And remember that passage. These are written. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life because that's your very first purpose in life. The thing from which everything else grows to simply find life, find Jesus. So that's our first point for this morning. And you can, you can write that in. One, our motto here at Crosswalk is Crosswalk, live the adventure. You, you want to really live an adventure, then be a Christ follower. So the first part of living the adventure is find life. Discover life in Jesus Christ. You want to write below it, find Jesus. Or maybe even more accurately, be found by Jesus. Because that's the way it really works. Jesus comes after us. And he keeps coming and he keeps coming and he calls us. Come, follow me. And he calls you. Here's the second part to finding purpose in life. Once you've found life in Jesus, there's a little bit more to it than that. And even Dion Sanders goes on to write about it in his book. Listen to what he says. Then God started to send people into my life to share the truth with me. See, that's, that's the point that we just made. Deion Sanders could not bring himself to God. God kept sending people to him. And listen to what he says. Friends, former teammates, pastors, my attorney, they were all sharing the truth with me. You see, the power is in the word of God, the truth. Late one night, I opened the Bible to a passage that said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then he says, the words hit me like a ton of bricks. I knew they were meant for me. Before I found Christ, I had all the material comforts, I had all the money, all the fame, and the popularity. But what I didn't have was peace. I had no peace. 
When I found Christ, I found what I had been missing all those years. Only then was I able to trust in God's will for my life. I have a new sense of peace about what happens both on and off the field. Hear that? I have a new sense of peace. I have a passionate hunger for the things of God. And each day I'm feeding on his word. This is Deion Sanders, Neon Dion, the show. You know, I mean, here he is. Each day I'm feeding on this word. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see what happens when we find life, when we find Jesus, we also find tremendous peace and fulfillment and we find satisfaction and we find that our hunger that deep spiritual hunger begins to be filled and that's exactly what Paul is writing to the Ephesians open up to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 we're going to go back to verse 4 we read this already but I'm going to Go back there and then continue on. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, took us dead people, dead in sin, and made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. Grace is God's undeserved love, his faithful love that he he never gives up on us, that he always puts the first foot forward with us. That's what grace is. And God raised us up with Christ. Here's the important words I want you to look at. He literally raised you up, just like he raised Christ from the grave. He's now raising you up with Christ. And he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, you already have a lazy boy chair waiting for you in heaven. That's your perfect comfort spot, man. He's already seated you with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might do what? He might bless you unbelievably. Look at what it says. In order that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's the next thing. Once the Holy Spirit takes your dead, blind, sorry soul and mine and drags it across the line of faith and puts life in your soul, through the power of this book and the Holy Spirit working in your heart and your mind, once he does that, then he says, you know what? I want to bless you more than that. I don't want to just have you cross the line. I want you to experience the true peace and the joy and the fulfillment and the blessing of walking with Christ. Now, I got to tell you, I know too many of us, and, and, and there are days when I'm one of those that have crossed the line, and yet I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm not living as though I already have that lazy boy chair waiting for me in heaven, and that all those incomparable blessings are heaped all around that lazy boy chair, that I'm, I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Notice that's a past tense verb there, meaning it's already done. 
I'm not living as if it's already done. I'm kind of lowering my head and shuffling along and dragging my feet and feeling hopeless and tired and dismayed. I'm not experiencing the joy of knowing that God wants to bless me every day, that I'm his dearly loved child. Nothing can change that. That he has loved me with a faithful love that will never go away. Romans chapter 8 says, Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ that is mine in Christ Jesus my Lord. I, uh, I learned a new word. This week we were at a conference and uh, we went out in San Diego and uh, one of my favorite places to be is um, an Irish pub. Now I'm going to admit that publicly. Don't go too far with that. That's our secret, okay? I'll go in and I'll, I'll have a beer in an Irish pub and I love Irish music. And I was sitting there, and actually the musician who was playing took a break. And, um, and uh, he came over, and we, we got involved in a conversation, and he was from Dublin. And I said, well, you know, tell me a little bit about the difference between living in, in San Diego and living in Dublin. And uh, he said, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of there um, six months of the year and I try to be here six months of the year but here's the one big thing that comes to my mind crack not crack cocaine crack C-R-A-I-C anybody know what crack is? anybody got Irish heritage? crack is what you experience when you go into uh, an Irish pub and you have a beer very self-controlled and you're listening to the music, and your friends are gathered around you, and you just feel, ah, oh, this is good. It's a little bit of fun mixed with a lot of contentment and especially community. And you're just there, and you are enjoying life. I believe there's Christian crack. Again, not the drug. I'm not talking about the drug. But Christian crack is that sense of fulfillment and joy and community that we get when we live in God's grace. Do you, do you hear Paul saying that here in Ephesians chapter 2? He's saying, look... Christ has pulled you across the line. He's invited you. He's called you. He's enlightened you. And now he says, live in this grace. You were once dead, but now God, he's raised you up with Christ. Enjoy this grace. It is by grace you've been saved. It's not from yourselves. What if you truly believe there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less? And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more because he just loves you in his son Christ. And that's there. It's a given. You are living truly in a state of grace. What if you lived every day? What if you got up every morning, or I did, and just said, man, how awesome is this that I get to experience God's grace and blessing again today? And even if things get a little bit tough, and they're gonna, 
They are. That's the way life is. There's sin in the world. Sometimes I let my old Adam get back in control of me and not my new man. And I trip myself up. But I live in a state of grace. And there's, there's a lazy boy chair waiting for me in heaven, man. With all of God's eternal blessings waiting there for me. Because Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus built up all those righteous acts and he wants to credit them. In fact, he has credited them by faith to my account. And that's mine. And I can walk in it. I can live in it. I can enjoy it. That's Christian crack. And God wants you to experience that every day, even when you're going through all the stuff that you're going through. We all go through it. It is by grace you have been saved. Past tense, you have been saved. It's a done deal. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, Deion Sanders found it, didn't he? Remember what we just read? All of a sudden, when he was found by Christ, he found God's incomparable Riches of blessings and peace and joy and fulfillment and contentment. And that's what God wants you to have. So here's the second thing about purpose in life. If you've crossed that line, the next thing for you to do is to just learn to receive that, that, that sense of fulfillment that comes from reminding yourself daily. I am living in a state of grace that Jesus Christ has crafted for me. Second point is live the adventure. Live your life. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. We're truly living life when we follow Jesus. He says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that they, meaning you, may have life and have it to the full. When in Christ you know who you are. When in Christ you know why you are here. When in Christ, you know that an eternity of blessing lies in front of you. You are experiencing Christian crack. Enjoy it. Live life. There's one more stage, though, and it's contained in the very last verse. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 again. And God placed all things under his feet. No, I'm sorry. Verse 10 of chapter 2, not chapter 1. For we are God's workmanship, he says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me ask you a question. Let's say one day you meet a man who's 50 years old, and you're having a conversation with him. And in this conversation, he says to you, I'm living at home with my mom and dad. Any thought flip through your mind? Let's be honest. Lucky. He's a lucky, okay? I like it. And he says, you know what? I don't have to do my own laundry. My mom takes care of my laundry for me. And, uh, and I, I haven't had a job in years. 
Because both my mom and dad, they still work. They take care of me. They put food on the table. And pretty much my life is just going out and having fun and enjoying crack. You know, I'm Irish. I get to enjoy it every night I go out. And it's all on my mom and dad's dime. What are you thinking? Something a little wrong? Shame on them. Right? What do you do with a tree? A fruit tree that you plant. And at first it's a seedling, so you nurture it and you protect it. After two or three years, it grows up. You're waiting. It still hasn't come into its fruit-bearing years, so you're putting fertilizer on it. You're helping it. Now you're about seven or eight years in, and you read, you know, seven or eight years in, your tree will begin to produce fruit. And year seven goes by, and year eight goes by, and year nine goes by, and year 12 and 15 and 20 goes by. Because you're a very patient person. And still no fruit. What do you do? Do you let that tree continue to take up space in your yard? To cost you money on your water bill? Bill, you got some fruit trees. What would you do to it? Do you see that? Ah, you don't want to be one of Bill's trees and not produce fruit. (laughs) And you know what? Jesus said the very same thing. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who is full of grace that we just talked about, that wants us to live in this state of grace, said, if a tree is not producing fruit, cut it down. Those are amazing and shocking Words, but Jesus said them. Have you ever heard of an ornamental tree? You know what an ornamental fruit tree is? It's a tree that looks like a fruit tree, kind of acts like a fruit tree, but it doesn't produce fruit that you can eat. Here in Arizona, we have mock orange trees. Ever take a big bite out of a juicy mock orange? (laughs) Yuck. Right? Let me ask you this. Do we have ornamental Christians sometimes? Do we have mock Christians that produce fruit that's not fit to be consumed? What does Paul say? For we are God's workmanship. Literally, that means work of art. Created in Christ Jesus. And our ultimate purpose, Paul says, why you are here. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which, he says, remember how it ends? God has planned in advance for us to do. Literally, that last verb means which God has planned in advance for us to live in. We're supposed to be living, walking around in good works, in the fruit that we produce. The last answer to the question of why I am here is simply that. I am here to be 
called by Christ and drawn across that line by the Holy Spirit of faith and to follow Jesus. Number one, I am, I am here to truly lay back and enjoy the feeling of fulfillment and peace in that state of grace, but that's not the end of it. I am here and you are here to do the good works that God has planned in advance for us to do. And if we don't get there, if we don't get there, then we're mock Christians. We're ornamental Christians. Now, the Bible tells us that fruit, just like out of a tree, is an organic thing. It will be produced if we have that faith and if we do rest in Christ and enjoy that state of grace. It's going to happen in our new man. Let me repeat that phrase, in our new man. But what does the Bible also tell us? In fact, Paul references it here. It says we also have an old man, an old Adam, a sinful flesh that would love to see each and every one of us become ornamental Christians and not get to that next step. And what Paul is reminding us of here is that old Adam has to be beaten back so that the new man can come forth daily, can rise up daily and produce that fruit that God has planned in advance for us to do. Take a look at it one more time. Ephesians chapter 2. You want to know about your purpose? You are God's workmanship, God's work of art. And you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. Look at what it says in Philemon chapter 6. I put this in your crosswalk notes. Paul writes to Philemon, he says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Share your faith. Reproduce, in other words. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 and 19 says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You want to find a purposeful, meaning life. You want to find the life that is truly life. Bear fruit. That's our third point. Live the adventure. Find true meaning and purpose, not only by Finding life, not only by living life, but by sharing your life, doing good works. Here's something I've learned recently. Take that fruit. And there's two things that it does. It produces. If you eat it, it produces energy in you, right? But inside that fruit is a seed, right? So it also reproduces. And that's exactly what a mature fruit-bearing faith does. You want to know what a mature fruit-bearing faith looks like? Just ask yourself, is my faith producing nourishment for others? Am I helping? Am I doing good things? Am I loving others the way Christ first loved me? Am I being productive? And then ask yourself, am I being reproductive? Am I sharing the message with others, spreading the seed of the good news of Jesus Christ? Because that's what it means when, when Paul says, 
You are his work of art, called to do good works. He wants you to be productive, and he wants you to be reproductive. Let's take a look at the crosswalk notes. Here's your next steps. I'm going to give you a couple couple ways that you could maybe be productive or reproductive this coming week. Find someone who doesn't have a life. You want them to find meaning and purpose, to know why they're here. Help them find life, which means help them find who? Who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? Help them find Jesus. Give away. You know, every Sunday we have these books and we we tell our guests, please pick one of these up on your way out. I'm going to tell you guys something today. If you have a friend that needs to know about Jesus, give them Jesus. Here it is, all about Jesus. Here's the book. You'll find them on the resource tables. If we run out today, we'll get more. Okay? Give it away. You see the signs about the blood drive scattered throughout the auditorium. That's happening. Maybe that's a good work that God has planned in advance for you to do this week. Think about that. There's so many things we can do to share. Next, share your spiritual gift survey. If you're in one of our growth groups, share that with your growth group leaders so that we can plug your spiritual gifts into our database. You know why? We're more powerful when we work together. And that's going to allow us to work together better. Finally, meditate on and memorize John 20, verse 31. And Philemon, verse 6, two great verses for you to look at. They're right there in your crosswalk notes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, only you can give us true purpose and meaning in life. Only you can tell us what our true identity is, that we are your children in Christ Jesus. Only you can really answer that question, why am I here? And Lord, you've done it, and you have answered that question with a bang. And we ask you to lead us all in our hearts and minds to your son, Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord God, help us not only to to find that life. We can't find it on our own strength, Lord. Please help us to find it. But not only to find it, but also to enjoy it and to live in it that state of grace. And finally, Lord, help us to be productive and reproductive in our faith, to truly share our life with others. Lord, we know that without your help, without your spirit's power, we're going to continue to fall short on that. But we also believe and we hope and we trust that just as you raised your son Jesus from the grave, you've raised us from the grave. By the power of your spirit, we can really find the true purpose and meaning in our life and share that with others. Pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.